Hey everyone, good evening. Welcome to another week of Bible Study Fellowship. This week we're going to be looking at the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we're going to begin a four-week study on the book of Isaiah. Tonight will be an introduction. We're glad you're here. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much that you clearly called Isaiah and equipped him to serve you. Lord, I pray that uh, as we come to this passage, as we look at the words that Isaiah captured thousands of years ago, that you would help us understand that you are still in charge, you are still seated on your throne, and Lord, that you have made a way for your broken people to be restored to you, and you've chosen to involve us in your great plan for the salvation of this earth. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see the ways that you have called us uh, to do work for you in your kingdom. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if any of you can think of a relationship that you have in your life that didn't end well. Uh, perhaps it was a romantic relationship that ended poorly, and uh, I know that that's, I had some of those that happened when I was in high school, and it, there's an awkwardness when you're around that person. You see them again in class, or you see them in the hallway, or you run into them in the, in the community, uh, and there's a desire to not interact with that individual. You, you don't want to talk about uh, all the things that went wrong in their relationship. You don't want to have to explain why you did something or said something. Maybe you have a relationship like this with someone in your family or with someone in your workplace. Uh, and and you, know, you, you see them and you want to hide. You want to be invisible. You don't want to be seen. Uh, you don't want to have to deal with the discomfort and the pain that might come from interacting with that person. Uh, it, it's sort of our MO as people. It's, it's been captured in, in movies and in TV shows where we see you know, people that have broken relationships doing ridiculous things to avoid one another. And um, we just want to walk away from those awkward, failed relationships and pretend that they never happened, that that person doesn't exist, and we're just done. We're done with it. I think as we look at the book of Isaiah, it is a reminder to us that is not what God does. Uh, God is not going to look at the broken relationship that he has with the nation of Israel and say, I'm just going to walk away. I'm okay with the way things are. I'm just going to ignore it and walk away. Uh, the book of Isaiah is a reminder that God desires his people to be aware of why the relationship is broken and also to know that God has made a way for that relationship to be restored. Uh, many of the prophetic books follow the same pattern where God is working with different kings, different people at different times in the history of Israel, and the message is consistently the same. Return, be restored. Return, be restored. Yes, the relationship is broken. Yes, you have done damage to the relationship that I'm supposed to have with you, says God. Uh, but he is not going to keep silent. He is not going to accept the status quo. He is going to be working to restore the relationship that he has with his people. And I think that's our main truth for tonight, is just to learn that, that God will restore, or God will provide the opportunity for people to, to have a restored relationship with him. We're going to be looking at Isaiah over the next few weeks, and so I wanted to provide a little bit of an outline in terms of uh, the way that we're going to be going through this book, 
in our, uh, our our study of NBSF. So first of all, this week is a brief introduction to Isaiah. I'm going to go through the outline, and then we're also going to meet Isaiah the prophet and see how he was called to serve the Lord from Isaiah chapter 6. So we're going to look at that in just a few minutes. Uh, but we wanted to spend a little bit of time now looking at the overall outline of this book. It's 66 chapters long. Uh, Isaiah is often referred to as the fifth gospel because there, so much of it focuses on uh, the promised servant, the promised Messiah. There's many passages in Isaiah that are quoted in the New Testament, and, and even as we've, you know, we're not too far out of Christmas, but there's passages that we hear from the book of Isaiah uh, every Christmas reminding us that uh, Jesus' coming has been foretold and been promised to us. Well, uh, our studies in Isaiah, we're going to have four studies. Introduction this week, we're going to then do Isaiah 1 to 39. We are going to then look at uh, Isaiah 40 to 48. And then finally, our fourth week is going to be Isaiah 49 to 66. And this sounds like a lot of material because it is. Uh, But we're going to look at some general themes that we're going to see in those passages tonight to get us ready for those future studies. And then we're also going to look again at Isaiah's call in chapter 6. So first of all, Isaiah 1 to 39. Uh, First of all, verses 1 through 5 are really the introduction. Chapters 1 through 5 are the introduction to the book. They contain two visions that Isaiah is given from God. If you look at uh, Isaiah 1-1, you can see the way that the book starts. Uh, Isaiah makes it clear that uh, who he is, and that the information that he is sharing with God's people is not his own. Uh, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. We'll see that repeated at the beginning of uh, chapter 2, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So chapters 1 through 5 capture uh, two visions that Isaiah had, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, one of the things that you'll, that you'll see again and again throughout the book, but you're definitely going to come across it in the first five chapters, is this, this phrase, in that day. Uh, and in the book of Isaiah, when you hear, in that day, you can say to yourself, what day? It's the day of the Lord. Uh, it's, we've talked about it in some past lessons. Uh, a special day of God's great judgment and great deliverance on his people. Uh, but Isaiah will, will use that phrase, uh, that day, and you can say to yourself, what day? The day of the Lord. You're going to see that a lot as you go through the first couple chapters of the book of Isaiah. Uh, so again, one through five, introduction. Really, God is laying out his reasons for being dissatisfied with the heart of his people, the heart of his nation. And then as we move into chapter 6 through 12, we're going to see God has a desire to pour out grace upon his people. We're going to see it first with Isaiah and his call, uh, and then we're going to see in different ways that uh, God is showing grace to, uh, the, to the nation. We're going to see God showing grace to King Ahaz, uh, a king who really didn't deserve it, but uh, there's going to be a section where Isaiah is dealing with King uh, Ahaz in chapter 7 through 12. Uh, And in that interaction with King Ahaz is uh, Isaiah chapter 9, which we're all probably familiar with, whether we realize it or not. You know, this is uh, the the, the famous Christmas passage for Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them 
light has shined. And so, uh, again, this, this, this passage that talks about, you know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the government will be on his shoulders. Um, that, that famous passage is Isaiah's interaction with King Ahaz uh, in advance of the invasion of the Assyrian army into the land of, of Judah. We're going to then see a word that Isaiah has for the nations that surround the land of Israel. As we've gone through our study of kings, we've gotten a little bit familiar with these these nations that were contemporaries of the nation of Israel. But in 13 through 27, there are oracles that God has for the surrounding nations. So Babylon and Philistia and Moab and the northern kingdom of Israel, Egypt, Edom, Arabia, Tyre, and even Jerusalem are uh, oracles that are spoken by Isaiah in chapters 13 through uh, 27. Uh, as, as we go on, uh, we're going to see sections in the book of Isaiah that are dedicated towards uh, his interaction uh, with uh, King Hezekiah. We're going to experience, again, that time of, of Hezekiah's life where he was trying to, to know how to lead the people in a difficult time during the Assyrian invasion. Uh, and that will wrap up, uh, really, our, our section in Isaiah uh, 1 through 39. Uh, as we go into Isaiah 40, this is a, a, a great section where the tenor of the book changes, where in, in much of 1 through 39, God is speaking to his people and he is pointing out the, the reasons that uh, judgment is upon them. He is, he is laying bare their sins. He is announcing their iniquity. And as we get into Isaiah 40, uh, the tenor of the passage changes, and it begins in Isaiah 40, verse 1, uh, with what is certainly a famous verse, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. So not only has God spoken to the nation of Israel about their sin, about the consequences of their sin, about what they need to do as a result of their sin, but God is also speaking comfort to his people uh, in these in these passages. He is assuring the people uh, that he has not forgotten them, he will not condemn them. The time of, of, of their season out of the land will not last forever. Uh, we even see in Isaiah 45, uh, God's word to uh, a man named Cyrus, who at the time of Isaiah's writing, nobody would have had any idea who this guy was. But looking back, we know that uh, Cyrus was a future king of Persia who would ultimately allow the people to go back to the actual land of Israel and to begin to rebuild the temple. As we go through the book of uh, Isaiah, we're going to see a lot of Hebrew poetry. Your Bible will have it indented differently. Uh, to let you know that this is a poetic section. Um, Hebrew poetry is, uh, it's amazing that, that God has chosen to speak to his people in a form of communi- communication that is beautiful. Uh, he has chosen to, to, to take these words and make them into almost a song, uh, to, to take words of judgment and comfort uh, and, and, and bring them together, not just in you know, a narrative format or in the form of a letter like we might see in the New Testament from Paul or, or uh, you know, like one of the other disciples, but instead uh, God has chosen to speak to his people through poetry, through poetic images, um, and it's really just a joy to experience it. So make sure that as, we, as you see some of that Hebrew poetry, take some time to wrestle through it, to, to think about it, to enjoy it. Uh, and to know that God did choose to make his hard words to his people beautiful. The last section we'll look at in our study is uh, chapters 49 through 66. 
Uh, again, we're going to see uh, in chapter 49, it starts off and we get a lot of information about the servant of the Lord, uh, the one who would come and ultimately bring about uh, the right kingship and the restoration to the people. Uh, we begin to get a sense of what the mission is of that king from 49 verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So again, uh, God's plan for restoration is bigger than Judah, it's bigger than Israel, but the servant will bring back a way for the entire world to return. Uh, we have the restoration of Israel that's talked about in Isaiah 50. Uh, but the, the book does end uh, on a bit of a somber note because, again, the, the, the people have not necessarily returned. Um, that has a strong ending of uh, judgment for those that remain in rebellion against God. This is chapter 66, verses 20, verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. This is the Lord speaking. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be uh, an abhorrence to all flesh. So again, there's that that message in Isaiah is is there is a season, there is a time for the people of Israel to return to the Lord, to experience restoration. But a time will come when those don't return will be considered to be rebels. They will be in rebellion against the Lord, and there are consequences uh, for people who fall into that category. And so uh, Isaiah lays it out for us. We we get to hear. God's call to his people through the long ministry of the prophet Isaiah. I think the principle for this overview of uh, the book of Isaiah is that God provides ample warning to his wayward people. God provides ample warning to his wayward people. Again, that repeated phrase, the day of the Lord is coming soon, return to God while you can. Uh, oftentimes when I drive home from work at the end of the day, I want to fire up my GPS because I, I want to avoid traffic. I want to find the best route home. And I have a couple different ways that I can drive home, but I need to decide pretty early in the trip what way I'm going to go. And once I've committed, I can't go back. Uh, I've, I've made the early commitment. I have to then stay the course. And many times my GPS will encourage me to take home the interstate, which is one of the ways home. And so I'll drive, and as I'm getting started on my drive on the interstate, the GPS will say, hey, you're going to spend 10 minutes in traffic. And I'm like, why did we go this way? You have one job, GPS. Your job is to tell me early on that this route was bad. Go the other way, Brett. Take home the non-interstate way home. Uh, and the good news for the people of Israel, the good news for us, is that God doesn't operate anything at all like my GPS. God has provided early and regular warnings that his people are walking down the wrong path, and it's time to come back to the right one. Come back to the right path. Unlike my route home, where I have to decide early and commit early, the Lord offers people the opportunity to get back on the right path throughout the course of their lives. I think if we, if we think about that in, in our own story, um, you know, when have been times in your life when either studying God's word or through the direction of the Holy Spirit that God has provided you direction. He's provided you information about 
you know, the, the things that you should do about returning to the right path or making decisions that are, that are consistent with God's character and, and God's desire for his people, what were some of the results of that? What were some of the ways that you experienced blessing and fulfillment and, you know, circumstances that happened that you were like, this is amazing. God's hand was so present in this series of decisions that, that maybe you made when you were listening and attentive to God's direction. And if you're like me, you also have stories where you've sort of chosen to go your own way. You've chosen to uh, uh, ignore God's direction or set it aside or think that the path that you're on is okay uh, and you'll be able to work it out. It's not going to be a problem. And what were some of the results when you followed your directions, when you've listened to the desires of your fleshly heart rather than listening to the information and direction that God would provide? God knows that we as people that are described as sheep need direction, uh, and, and he offers it. The question that we have to grapple with is, are we willing to listen to the direction that God provides. So go ahead in your Bibles. We've kind of walked through Isaiah a little bit. We've, we've perused the 66 chapters. Uh, I'm not going to really spend any time on Isaiah 1. We've looked at that in previous studies in, in Bible Study Fellowship. So if you want to go back, uh, listen to those on YouTube. You can hear more about Isaiah uh, chapter 1 and Vicki's lecture on prophecy. But we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 6. So this is... Uh, after those introductory visions that God provides uh, to Isaiah in chapters 1 through 5, we're going to see the way that Isaiah came into service as a prophet to the Lord. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, this was a time maybe of uncertainty for Isaiah and for the nation. The king that they had been accustomed to, King Uzziah, was dead. But the real king, the true king of Israel, is seated on his throne. Uh, the Lord is pictured as being seated. He is in charge. He is in control. And he is the true king. Uh, Isaiah tells us that the train of his robe, the very bottom part of his robe, filled the temple. And, you know, I, I, I like to think of this as being like the entire temple. The, the temple itself, the building itself, was actually fairly small. But if you think about the courtyards and the territory around the temple, this is a pretty big area. And the very smallest part of the robe of the Lord totally filled uh, the temple. Uh, this is this picture of the Lord is uh, of, of being massive and mighty and filling up the space that he is in. We then read in 6.2 about these uh, creatures. They're called seraphim. This is a transliterated word from Hebrew, right? This is not a translated word. This is just transliterated. So if we could go and read the Hebrew Bible and if we could find Isaiah 6 and if we could find this word, it would, it would say with Hebrew letters, seraphim. Right, this we we don't really know what these creatures are. the The word uh, seraphim seems to be related to fire, and so this seems to be some sort of fiery angel. Uh, but these these creatures that we learn about here, these seraphim that are above the the king, above the Lord, uh, they have six wings. They're covering their faces. They're covering their feet, and they're flying. Um, and and keep in mind that these are perfect supernatural creatures they are without sin they are they are made for this purpose and yet in the presence of a holy god they humble themselves 
They cover their faces. They cover their feet. Um, and they have a, they, they're calling to each other. And uh, they're, it, you know, they're, they're, they're in the presence of this holy God. They, they can't see God, but there's a holiness from God that can be felt, that it can be experienced. Um, and, and as if you know, all the details of the scene aren't enough, we have these two seraphim that are speaking to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So not just uh, is the glory of the Lord present in the train of his robe in the temple, but the entire earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. As the seraphim speak these truths uh, about God, the foundations of the building that Isaiah is in seem to be coming apart. Uh, Verse 4, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. It is as if the holiness of God interacting with this this building that Solomon built, this this wonderful building, but this building built by imperfect hands, as it comes in contact with the holiness of God, the, the foundation and the structure of the temple is beginning to become undone. And this is Isaiah's response as well. As Isaiah sees the scene, as he hears the voices, as he sees the seraphim, uh, he himself is becoming undone. Here's what Isaiah said, chapter five, uh, verse five, chapter six. And I said, "Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, capital K, the Lord of Hosts." Uh, And so not only is the building responding to the Lord's holiness, but Isaiah realizes that as he is encountering the holiness and the purity and the majesty of the God of 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 the Bible, he realizes two things. He realizes that he personally is unclean. And he also realizes that there is a sense of national corporate guilt that exists uh, and that's the notion of he lives in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He feels both of those things in the presence of God, his personal sin and the failings of his people, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. Uh, and, and his result, is, his conclusion is correct. Uh, because of this personal and corporate guilt, he should be killed. He should die. He should cease to exist. Uh, And in that moment, this is when one of the seraphim, and I imagine this was a terrifying moment for Isaiah, when uh, he probably thought this is this is how it ends, when this flaming you know jet engine of an angel comes soaring to him with a with a hot coal in his hand. Um, The the seraphim offers the coal to Isaiah. Uh, Seraphim flew to me, having having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, "Behold." This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. I think one of the things that was interesting to me, both in Isaiah's self-revelation of his own sin and also of his cleansing, is the role that the lips and the mouth play in this sense of uncleanness. Uh, we see that throughout the Bible, where the, the James in the New Testament talks a lot about the tongue, uh, we we you know we see that 
the things that come out of our mouths uh, are somehow indicative of what's inside of our hearts. And in this scene, no less, uh, Isaiah identifies his failure as being a man of unclean lips, and that is ultimately what the seraph touches the coal to, to remove uh, Isaiah's guilt, to take away his sin, and to offer him atonement. Uh, the, this this phrase here, what we need to spend a little bit of time in, is to think about this idea uh, that the seraph has conveyed to Isaiah, that this, that this thing that has touched your lips has taken away your guilt, uh, it has taken away your sin. Uh, this is no ordinary uh, altar, and on this altar there is no ordinary sacrifice. We know that uh, from other studies in the in the in the book uh, of in the Old Testament, we know that the people of Israel offered sheep and goats uh, as as a way to cover their sins. Um, and and uh, the, the the New Testament writer of Hebrews reminds us that the blood of Goats and bulls cannot actually remove sin. Only the shed blood of Christ can accomplish this. And so in some way, in this heavenly scene where there is an altar and there is a coal and there are tongs and, and, and there are seraphim and the Lord is there seated, at some way, uh, Jesus Christ is present in this scene because that future sacrifice to Isaiah was was a, a true reality that existed in this heavenly scene because that seraph took a coal from that altar and was able to take away the sin of Isaiah by touching it to him. Uh, this was no ordinary sacrifice that was available uh, in, this, in this place where Isaiah found himself. Now that Isaiah has been clean, he is able to uh, hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, the voice of the Lord asks the question, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Uh, the use of the word us is, is a, a reference to the Trinity. Uh, we know that God exists as one God, but he has three distinct persons. Uh, and we think of that as being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that use of the word us is one of the ways that uh, Bible scholars and theologians have begun to understand the nature of the Trinity. And Isaiah, having experienced the gift of God, the, the, the grace of God, and the taking away of guilt and sin, is ready to volunteer. Who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Uh, it, a simple expression, but uh, it comes from a heart that has been forgiven and is now ready and willing to serve the God that has done so much uh, to bring about redemption and restoration of not only nations, but of also individuals. Uh, God accepts Isaiah's service and says, go and say this to the people. Uh, and we can read about Isaiah's message uh, in verses 9 all the way through uh, the end of the chapter. But essentially, Isaiah's ministry will be one of hardening hearts. Uh, Isaiah's will, will be one where people are rejecting the message that he has. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now we know that even though Isaiah's ministry would be mostly fruitless, 
there will be some people that respond. We'll see that reason why a little bit later on when God talks about the stump. Uh, but, but we know that Isaiah is not going to have a ministry that's going to be filled with people, uh, people that are ready to repent and that are ready to return. But some people would respond to his ministry. Isaiah is wondering in verse 11, Lord, how long? Do you want me to do this? Is this just like a weak engagement? How long am I going to be pronouncing this message to the people of Israel? Uh, and the response of the Lord is, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant, the houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Although a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. And so uh, there's a promise here of this removal of the, the, the nation of Judah. Again, remember, this is I, I, Isaiah is predominantly sent to the nation of Jerusalem and to Judah. So he is, he is working in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom still exists at this point in Isaiah's ministry. So we've sort of rewound a little bit. In our study of kings, we've gone back to when the, Isaiah is operating when these two nations, these two kingdoms still exist, uh, but there's a promise that God has that the people will eventually be removed from the land, and when that happens, Isaiah, then your work is done. Uh, but you are to continue this ministry, giving people an opportunity to return until cities lie in waste without inhabitant, and the Lord removes people far away. Uh, but again, there is that promise that a holy stump, uh, some portion of people would, re- would be true to the Lord, would remain as a holy seed, uh, and would teach about the Lord to the next generation uh, of people that would be born. So that, that holy seed is going to remain in the land, remain in the nation. Not everyone would have a dull heart and eyes that are unseen. I think the principle for this section on Isaiah's call is that, um, first of all, forgiveness is available. Uh, Forgiveness is available. Uh, God offered forgiveness to Isaiah um, when he showed up, when he asked for it, when he realized that he needed it, uh, it was made available to him immediately. Uh, The seraph flew to Isaiah the moment that he realized his need for forgiveness. And then the other thing to think about is that Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah's story, uh, forgiveness happened before service. Isaiah didn't have to earn his way to forgiveness at the altar. He didn't have to, you know, do a bunch of push-ups or go out and work really hard for the Lord. Uh, the Lord offered him forgiveness the moment that he realized that he needed it. Once Isaiah had been forgiven, he was now ready to serve the Lord. His service was a response. Uh, it was a it was a, an opportunity for Isaiah to thank the Lord for what he had accomplished. It was an opportunity for Isaiah to respond to the gift of having his guilt taken away and his sin atoned for. Isaiah was ready to serve the Lord. If uh, if you've ever been out mountain biking, I I go mountain biking from time to time. And normally what you want to do is, is like, you know, the night before you go or the day before you go, you want to get your bike out and you want to check it out. You want to tune it up, make sure there's air in the tires, check the brakes, make sure the bearings are working correctly, double check that the headset is nice and tight, make sure that everything shifts well. And the goal is, is that, you know, when your bike's tuned up, you're now ready to go out and enjoy a day of mountain biking. It would be a little silly to uh, take the bike out of the garage and go out and ride the bike. 
And then after the ride, you know, okay, now I'm going to tune it up. You know, I've been riding around all day today with a flat tire and gears that won't shift right. Uh, but, I, you know, no, I'm after I ride it, then I'll tune it up before I put it back in the garage so that it can rest well. Uh, and in the same way, um, God is going to equip people for the work that he calls them to. And part of that equipping, part of that preparation is to experience forgiveness. God isn't going to expect you and I to go out and do great things when we have not uh, been first brought to the Lord and experienced uh, forgiveness and atonement in the way that Isaiah did. So my question for you, uh, my question for me, is have you experienced the forgiveness that God offered, that God offers? Um, Isaiah did not prayer pray an elaborate prayer if we look at his words in verse 5. Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Uh, friends, if you genuinely believe those words to be true of you and you pray them, the Lord is going to respond to you in the same way that he responded to Isaiah. As soon as Isaiah realized his need for forgiveness, the Lord provided it, and that same forgiveness is available to you and to me. Isaiah didn't earn it. You and I don't need to earn it. Just acknowledge that you need it. Uh, And by doing so, that is the mechanism that God will provide uh, a, a way for your sin and your guilt to be taken away because of what Jesus did, not because of what Isaiah or what you uh, or what I have done. Or, um, and then the second thing we have to wrestle with is, what is the thing that maybe God has called you to do? Um, God has work that he gives to all of his servants, to all of his followers. And so what is the thing that God has, is, is equipping and calling you to do in service to him? Not to be forgiven, but in response to the forgiveness that you have already received. What is the thing that God has called you to do? And is there something that you're trying to do for God that he doesn't want you to do? I can think of a lot of times in my own life where I've decided it would be good for me to do X, Y, or Z for the Lord. And all of those things have gone poorly uh, because I'm having to do those things in my own strength, in my own power. Uh, They do not go well. Uh, When we do the thing that God calls us to do, we will not lack God's supply. If we're doing something that God does not want us to do, we will only have our supply and it will certainly uh, not go well. Well, humanity's relationship with God is broken. And our tendency as people is to avoid uh, avoid God, avoid people that we have bad relationships with. That is our natural response. Our right-handed response is to do that. The good news for humanity is that God does not operate this way. God kept sending people to the nation of Israel and saying, here's the problem with our relationship, sin. Here's what needs to be fixed. You need to be forgiven. And here it is. I'm offering it to you if you would yet come back to me and acknowledge that you need to be forgiveness. We don't have prophets like Isaiah that are running around in our world today. What we do have is God's word, the Bible, and we have the Holy Spirit active and working in our world. 
Uh, God works through these two ways to call people of our time back to himself. Uh, when we interact with his word, when we, when we interact with the Holy Spirit, God will provide nudging, he'll provide conviction, he'll provide direction to guide us back to the path that he would have us walk. Are you and I willing to listen and respond to God's call to us in this world? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word, uh, for the wonderful, beautiful words in the, the book of Isaiah. Uh, Lord, thank you that you made it beautiful. Um, you didn't need to. Uh, it could have just. It could have been ugly, um, but Lord, you chose to make it poetic. You chose to have majestic images. Um, Lord, thank you that um, your words to us are beautiful and they are words of life. Help us to hear them well. Uh, I pray, Father, that our hearts and our ears and and our our minds would not be dull and deadened to the call that you're making to us, but that we would respond quickly uh, and immediately so that we can experience the blessing and the restoration and the comfort that you spoke of in the book of Isaiah uh, and not the judgment uh, that is also there. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. See you next time.